everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Engage to Flourish podcast. I'm your host, Damon, and today I only have Kyle with me today. And today we wanted to do something a little bit different for this episode as we're in the middle of Easter week, preparing for Easter coming up this weekend. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to share a little bit more of the cultural context and give a little bit more insight into some of the background behind Easter. So Kyle, would you like to share about what today's episode is going to look like? Yeah, you know what? We were talking and we thought it might be good to do a little bit different where we give more um, content, more information. And it's hopeful. We're hopeful that with this, with some of these insights into Jewish culture, different things that surround and culminate with Easter in our in our faith, that you might um, just experience a, a little bit deeper and fuller um, Easter this year. Yeah, and... You know, for most of us, we've grown up in the United States. We're very far removed from the cultural context of what it would be like to be an Israelite or Jewish person. So some of the things that we're going to be talking about today might give a little bit more insight into the Bible in general, but then also to highlight really how much awesome, or not how much awesome, I don't <laughs> know what's wrong with my words today, but how awesome Easter really is and give us a even, make it feel even cooler than maybe we thought about before. So one of the stories that we wanted to start with is this story that's found in Genesis chapter 15. And to give a little bit of context, this is at the very beginning of the Bible. And Abraham has just encountered God and God is starting to give Abraham his promises. You know, Abraham was an older guy. He didn't have any children Yet God was telling him that he was going to be the father of this great nation. And so we're picking up this story as God is making some of these promises to Abraham. And it's kind of a weird story. So uh, this is actually starting in in Genesis chapter 15. And we will start in verse um, 7. It says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, This is Abraham speaking. O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each other, each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. So Kyle, when you hear this part about you know, Abraham at the time who was called Abram, collecting all these animals, cutting them in half and separating them. What have you ever heard this story before? <laughs> I've I've heard I it, it rang a bell when you mentioned it to me this morning, but I didn't remember the details. So hearing it again, it's kind of like and this yeah, this is kind of gruesome and uh, I wouldn't say like a sci fi movie, but it's some kind of <laughs> sounds like some weird movie plot. Yeah, so then if we jump ahead to verse 17, it says, It came about when the sun had set, that, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So at this time God was making a covenant with Abram, who was going to become Abraham, and This was actually a traditional covenant, you know, agreement that people would make at that time. So what would happen? And so to us, it might make no sense, feel really gruesome. But at the time, this was actually how people came into agreement on terms to a deal. So what they would do is they would take different animals, cut them in half, 
and they would walk in between. And so each person, so if Kyle and I were making an agreement, we would walk in between together. And what it would represent is if one of us didn't hold up our side of the agreement, this is what we should expect to be cut in half, basically, to be killed. So there was a covenant that we would each hold up our side. Otherwise, there would be something that, you know, death, basically, if we didn't hold up our side. So in this story, when we look at it, oh, and I actually skipped a part because uh, after Abram cut the pieces in half and split them, uh, God put him to sleep. So normally, again, the two sides, two parties that are making the agreement would walk together, but God puts Abram to sleep, and then God, through the, it says the, the what does it say, the oven and the torch, walks through himself. So what this is representing is actually God saying, Abraham, I know you're not going to hold up your end of the bargain, but I'm going to. So it's not going to be on you to hold up your end. I'm going to hold up both of our ends for us. So then that seems like it has a direct tie-in with Easter and what Christ did. So how, how would that tie in with the Easter story? Yeah, so for Easter, what it's what it's showing us is that, you know, our salvation is not dependent upon us, right? It's God knew that, you know, later when he gave the law, that we would not be able to fulfill the law on our own, right? That's how people thought that they were going to be saved was through fulfilling the law. Mm-hmm. But we can't fulfill the law on our own. And no matter what we've done, God was going to redeem us and bring salvation and it was through the Easter story through Jesus. And so God is just holding up his end of the bargain that he signified at the beginning with through this story about Abraham where God is saying, I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain and I'm going to hold up your end too. And so salvation was going to come through through God and not through what we did. Right. Yeah, I know. It's just hearing that, it just, uh, it, it reminds me and I think it just brings awe to the fact that God in his grace and his mercy and his love is able to to reach out to us in spite of our our shortcomings and in spite of our yeah our, our in spite of our not responding to him or even you know ful- fulfilling our end of the bargain. Yeah, and I think one of the cool things that this shows is just really how kind of like you said gracious and loving God is because he already knew in advance mm-hmm that we couldn't do it ourselves. And so he's telling us, it's not about what you do. I'm I'm going to be the one responsible for this. And so I I thought that was pretty cool. And again, when I read this story the first time, I was like, what is going on? I have no (laughs) clue what what is going on. So it does help to have some of the context for us to be able to understand a little bit deeper uh, what's actually happening in the Bible. Yeah, and I think it's a good reminder, too, to look at the Old Testament. It's hard to read sometimes, some of those stories, but really there's those nuggets in there that there's this continual foreshadow of the Messiah, what Christ was going to do and and fulfill. And so those little things all along, they keep pointing to him and what he's going to mean as the Savior of the world. And so even that one from way back early Genesis, and it seems like it, it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't seem very um, important, but it really is very uh, has very good symbolism and significance. Yeah. So now we're going to jump ahead a little bit, and we're going to jump ahead to Moses's time when 
he, God chose him to set the Israelites free from Egypt. And as they're getting ready to leave Egypt, there were a few different events that happened. And so one of the first events is, you know, we hear about the 10 plagues and how that was a precursor to them leaving. But the last plague was the death of the firstborn son, right? And so for the whole world, God was going to send the angel of death who was going to take the firstborn son, except for the families that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And so what they would do, the Israelites were supposed to do is they were supposed to take the lamb and they were supposed to kill it and they were supposed to spread the blood over the doorposts. And then as the angel of death came, he would pass over those homes and not take the firstborn son. And so that's Passover, which is actually celebrated right now. Uh, we're probably going to release this either Wednesday or Thursday. And this is the time of Passover. And so there is a significance that this is the precursor to uh, Jesus, right? Where he is the lamb that represents uh, the one that's going to take our sin and going to bring salvation for us. And so this was kind of the precursor to that where the lamb was taken and the blood was placed on the doorpost so that the angel came and passed over so that they could be saved. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking up. I, I don't know if anybody else has had this thought, but um, do you think there were any Israelites that didn't obey that command to put blood on the doorpost? Because I know it, I know it says, and I was just trying to look it up real quick. I know there's like cries throughout Egypt for the death of the firstborn, but I know it's for the Egyptians, but I don't know if it mentions anything about Israelites too. But yeah, can you that's imagine? That's a good question. I know. Can you, can you can you imagine if it's like ah, that's not really gonna do anything? What's what's or are they really in that? Uh, do they have that much awe of God and Moses for being like in communication with God? I don't know. Just <laughs> just had just had a, just a random thought. So, yeah, I I never thought about that. But it one of the cool things about this is that you know as we're getting ready for Easter, that Passover is the same week that it was. You know, we celebrate Passover the same week that we celebrate Easter. Mm-hmm. And so, for those of us that are not Jewish, we might not get that part of the context because. We don't celebrate Passover generally, but what we do celebrate is, you know, when we take communion, we remember the Last Supper, which contextually, when Jesus actually gave the Last Supper with his disciples, they were actually celebrating the Passover. Mm -hmm. And so when Jesus is giving the communion to his disciples and he's saying, you know, this is my blood that represents, uh, or this the wine in the cup represents my blood that I'm willing to um, shed for you. That was actually representative. And he's actually giving the representation of what the Passover meant in the first place. Right. And so it's kind of cool how those things are even connected just in general. Yeah. That we wouldn't probably, we probably wouldn't normally think about that, how they're connected. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was one thing that we were talking about as we were prepping for this episode is like, okay, well, how are some of the responses going to be? Is it just going to be like, yeah, that pretty much that's cool. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's going to be mostly you sharing insights and yeah, I mean, I'm listening to going like, oh yeah, I'm processing probably along with the listeners 
trying to, uh, I don't know, just connect in different ways. Yeah, so to me, one of the things that really stands out about some of these connections is just really how full God's like view of the world and view of time and view of reality is, is that, you know, he's able to set things up in a way that it's like, it's cool on its own. You know, communion is cool on its own. Easter is cool on its own. But when you recognize how God set everything up, it's like, oh, that's so much cooler. Right. And, and that's something it's, it just leaves me in awe of who God is when I think of it that way. Especially with Easter, because Easter really is the culmination of our faith, mm-hmm. right? Like in First Corinthians 15, I believe it is, Paul is speaking there, and he was saying, talking about the resurrection of the dead, and basically he's like, if, if Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead, then our faith is worthless. Mm-hmm. So really, this is the, the whole thing that our faith is built on, and um, I know Pastor Barry on Sunday is going to, for his message, he's going to be giving evidence of the resurrection being real, Jesus being real, and things like that. And um, really, that's that's the bed the bedrock of our uh, of our faith. Mm-hmm. So okay, so we just talked about Passover, and one of the other things about communion and Passover that's actually special to me is what uh, Jesus is using in giving the first communion. Is he's actually giving a picture that the disciples would be very familiar with in terms of uh, he's giving a picture of a wedding and or actually a proposal. Mm-hmm. So that was the actual traditional proposal at the time where a future husband would turn to his f- potential bride and say, you know, this is a new covenant that I want to step in with you. This cup represents my blood that I'm willing to spill for you. Will you receive it? And so she could either say yes and drink or she could say no. And that, you know, that they wouldn't end up getting married. Um, and so really that, when I first heard about that, that kind of stuck with me. So when I proposed to Tracy, that's how I did it too, because I thought this is so cool that it's a way that we can um, represent our love for each other, but then also the way that God showed his love for us through, through the Easter story. So that just, some personal thing that um, really stood out to me. So after Passover, uh, another Jewish festival that they celebrated was the, f- the festival of the unleavened bread, which comes right after Passover. And it, it's actually representative of the time as they're getting ready to leave Egypt that God told them to uh, make bread for their journey, but they were not supposed to uh, put yeast in it because there wasn't enough time for it to rise. So they were supposed to just eat the unleavened bread and it was supposed to represent God's provision for them from, from the earth Mm -hmm. and the way that God was going to provide uh, for them in this time as they're leaving Egypt. And so it's cool because when we connect it to our Easter story, right, we're looking at um, Jesus as being God's provision for us for our salvation, right? And so it wasn't something that we did. It wasn't from our works. It wasn't from, uh, you know, us trying really hard, but it was God's provision. And so the fe- fest- the feast of unleavened, uh, I don't know what's wrong with my work. <laughs> my mouth is not working today. But 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread was supposed to represent God's provision for the Israelites as they're getting ready to leave Egypt. And so it's it's pretty cool, too, because, you know, when we celebrate Easter, what we're also recognizing is we're leaving slavery to sin. We're leaving the captivity that sin has had in our lives and our sin nature has had in our life, and we're leaving that, right? And so when the Israelites left their slavery, their captivity, they're leaving that. We're leaving, we're recognizing our leaving the captivity of our sin nature, and the festival of unleavened bread was to recognize God's provision. So as we celebrate and as we recognize Easter, we can, in a similar way, recognize Jesus is God's provision for us for our salvation so that we can leave our captivity to sin and experience freedom in Christ. Yeah, it's really cool to see how those those symbolisms from you know hundreds and hundreds of years before actually then come forward and play out in this culmination of the of the story and uh so having those two then what's 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 the one that uh, relates to easter then I'm, so, I'm assuming there's one that ties in with that yeah it, and the one that ties in with that is the festival of first fruits mm-hmm. and so uh if you actually look at the jewish calendar these are celebrated on the days after so passover and then the day after is unleavened bread and the day after is first fruits and so when we look at our story, the Easter story, right, there's Good Friday and then Jesus is um, raised on Sunday, mm. right? And so it's really cool how they actually tangibly coincide with each other. And so the, the festival of the first fruits uh, is typically on the Sunday. And what it represents is us recognizing and the way that they would do it in Jewish cu- culture is recognizing God's provision and giving back the first fruits of what God provided as anticipation of more to come. Mm. And so it was a way for them to recognize, God, we are anticipating you doing some great things in our harvest, mm. and so we're going to give back to you the beginning. Mm. And so in our context with Easter and the f- first fruits feast uh, coinciding with resurrection Sunday Mm -hmm. we can recognize Jesus is the first fruits of what's to come for us Mm -hmm. right and his resurrection is the first fruits of resurrection for us and that we can recognize God you are you've already done this with Jesus he's the first fruit you're going to do this in us too and so that can be our foundation for us to recognize that he's going to raise us up as well yeah to me it kind of ties back in with the the um, imagery of the wedding and the bride. And so like there's a lot, especially in Revelation, about the church being the bride of Christ. And so it kind of then, I think, even builds that anticipation going forward. So it it fulfills it up to a certain point, but then it also then continues it forward uh, for when Jesus returns. Yeah, so if we want to even go through some of that stuff, at the time, what would happen after... Uh, the groom would propose with the ceremony that we talked about with uh, with First Communion. Mm-hmm. What would happen traditionally in that season was they would agree to that they would be married in the future, and then the groom would actually go away. Like se- seclusion kind of, right? Yeah, and yeah. he would go and start building a house uh, mm-hmm. and preparing their place that they're going to live. Mm-hmm. 
because up to that point he was living in his parents' house mm-hmm. most of the time. And so he would go and prepare house for them to live together and they could start their life together. And so then he would come back when that was ready for them to be able to move in together. So during that time, there would be a separation and then he would come back and say, I prepared a place for you. Come, come, let's be together. Sounds like Jesus's words, right? <laughs> I know. So that's when it, that, to me, that's where it's super cool because when you understand some of the context and when you learn about some of the context, it just brings more of a fullness to what Jesus says or what actually happened. Because when Jesus says things like, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back after I've prepared a place for you. It's like, oh, I, if I was living in that time, I would understand what that means. Or I would understand the symbolism and the picture of it where today it's like, okay, who cool. He's coming back. Right. And it's like I said, it's good in itself but when you see the context and the culture, it's like, whoa, that's so much cooler than I thought it was. Right. Yeah, the imagery and the symbolism really is, it adds so much more depth. And if we don't at least try to relate to it in some way, because it is very foreign to us in our culture, right? So if we don't try to like at least dig into it a little bit, we miss out on a lot of, um, really a lot of the, the awe that comes from really the whole, the whole story in the Bible. Yeah, and I think that's, I think uh, awe is a great word for that. It's just as we continue to hear and understand more of the fullness of what God is doing, it just leaves us in awe. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, something that Pastor Barry said in in the Ask the Pastor is I think at the end, you know, when we meet Jesus, we're going to just be in awe of how gracious and how loving he was able to weave everything together and be like, how did you, how are you able to do that? Because it just doesn't make sense to us, right? It's like we would have dealt it with it in this way, but when we are able to see and ask him how he was able to deal with everything, we're just going to be in awe of how loving and gracious he was. Yeah, I think that's that just ties in with the the fullness of of God and His attributes, and yeah, in our in our limited capacity, we can't uh, we don't understand how those things all blend together because some seem kind of contradictory like justice and mercy and like they seem like they're on opposites yet God does them in a, in a fullness yet he does it with all of them. And like just the, f- the fact that he can do that and yeah, it, it just, it does, it leads to awe. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that we've been talking about recently a lot is how co- countercultural Christianity is and how countercultural it was at the time and how it is now. It just, it just seems like, the more and more we go, the more and more our faith is countercultural. And really the Easter story is the culmination of what that is. Because if we think about it in terms of other gods, other faiths, other religions, they're all based on what we do for the God or the religion or what do we have to do. Yeah. But in the Easter story, what it's representing is really what God has done for us. You know, and if we tie it back all the way to that that Abraham story, you know, there were some things that God had asked us to do and to live up to, and but He knew that we weren't going to be able to do it on our own, and so He was the one that stepped in, stepped into history, stepped in through Jesus, to do it for us and to fulfill the covenants that He made, even when we couldn't fulfill our side. Yeah. So for me, I I would just want the the listeners to over the next several days leading up to Easter just to 
maybe some of these stories, these um, things from the Old Testament, these different imageries that we've brought up today, um, maybe they've been new or, or just uh, something they haven't they haven't quite um, an angle they haven't quite heard before. Uh, I would just challenge you to really sit with the Lord and ask Him to just just open your your you know basically open your heart to just appreciate Easter for really what it is, and it, it's it goes all the way back from from Genesis. And it's God's plan for His redemption of His people. But it's done in such a way that, you know, like I, again, I think for my word, it's just awe. Like we stand in awe. And I think each time we go deeper into these kind of, um, this story, because it is such a common story if you've grown up in the church that it can lose some of its impact. But when you start, when you, when you do some of the digging you did, Damon, and bring in some of those stories, it really uh, gives us a chance to really appreciate um, the awesomeness of God. And so if this episode was kind of cool hearing some of the cultural context. Uh, a resource that I've found uh, that I think is pretty cool is, uh, and you, you can find some of his stuff on, on YouTube, is a man named Ray Vanderlaan. And what he does is he takes people through tours of Israel to give cultural context. When you're actually in Israel, and a lot of his vis- videos are of him actually in Israel, giving some of the cultural context and the application to the cultural context that the Bible gives. And so he really brings to life some of the stories in the Bible and how we can apply it and really what it means to us today in a way that, like I said, it just brings more fullness and leaves us more in awe. And so if you, if this episode was intriguing at all and you want more cultural context and how it relates to the Bible, uh, check out Ray Vanderlaan. It's a, it's a good resource. So we're really excited for Easter. We hope that you have a great Easter and are able to just really reflect on what God has done for you and for us and for the world and live in hope that he's in control, he knows what he's doing, and that he is our salvation. Amen. So until, until next time, may you experience God, God's heart for you to flourish in every season. Thanks for listening to the Engage to Flourish podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify so that you don't miss any new content. You can also check out our sister podcast, Catalyst Stories, available on multiple platforms as well. We would also love for you to check out our church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at Stanford Middle School in Long Beach.